Hello and welcome to Restoration Church's teaching podcast. We are in Prescott, Arizona. My name is Nate Huss and I'm one of the team members here. And uh, if this is your first time, welcome. We're so glad that you could tune in. And yeah, if you'd like to connect with us or learn more, jump over to restorationaz.org. And uh, before we get going, I just want to encourage you, will you take a moment and just pause really quick? Every week um, at the end of the teaching, we always participate in communion. And so I would love for you to go grab uh, a small glass of grape juice, or if you don't have grape juice, just a glass of juice. If you don't have that, if you just have water, that's okay. Um, It's all about remembrance. And so grab that, uh, a small little piece of bread or a cracker, something that you have, and join us as we participate in communion at the end. And so we feel like there's There's no greater application at the end of listening to God's word than allowing the spirit to unify us through communion and remembering what Jesus has done for us. So take a moment, pause, go grab that. Now that you're back, will you please take a moment just to grab your Bible and we are going to dive in together. Uh, If you're new with us, my name is Landon and uh, I mean it when I say I am thankful to be one of uh, the, the team members here and just a part of the family as we seek to follow Jesus together. And sometimes that is glorious and filled with celebration and fun. And sometimes there's valleys and it's hard and there's doubts. Uh, and in this room, there's people in all of those spectrums right now. And so that's why it is a joy to journey together because we're dependent on one another. We, as a church, not the building, not the programs, not Sunday morning at 1045 or 845, but as the people of God following him together, that's part of his plan for each other is us. And so it is good to, to be with you this morning. Uh, as Jeremy said, if you have a Bible, Ephesians chapter 5 is where we're going to spend the majority of our time this morning. Uh, if you're kind of with us for the first time or first time in a while, we are in week 5 of what we call one of our practices. And we seek to, to practice the way of Jesus together, to take him seriously at his word for what he says, because what he says is good. I was processing earlier this morning, I get overwhelmed sometimes with how many decisions I am faced with. Some that matter and are significant and uh, you want to put a lot of effort into, like where to eat lunch, that matters. What to watch, what sports team to pick. By the way, I just got to give you a quick shout out. U of A lost to NAU last night. Well done, Matt. He was talking all kinds of trash to me last week, so I just have to throw that out. Um, You know, you could choose better. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this. I'm just all over the place. I get overwhelmed with choices. There's so many in our world. It is absurd and actually exhausting sometimes, even like what to choose on the menu, except for this. Jesus is just the simple right choice. Like, there's hardly any choices in life where you just go, yes. But when it comes to trusting Jesus, the answer is just yes. It's just simply yes. Now, when I say it's simple, that does not mean it's easy. (laughs) Following Jesus is not easy. It's always good. It's not easy, but it's a simple yes to trust Jesus with our hearts, which we've talked about, to trust him with our minds, not just what we think, but how we think. To trust him with our sin is a simple yes. To trust him with the work of our hands is a simple yes. And today, this morning, we'll talk about the fact that it is a simple yes to trust Jesus with our time. And so with that said, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 15 is going to be the core and foundation for us this morning. Paul 
is writing to a church in a place called Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. It's a group of people like us. It's a church. And so here's what he has to say to them. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk. The then here is important. Anytime we're reading in the scriptures, when you hear a then or a, a therefore, it's a because of what I just said. So it's kind of a clue that we should pay attention to the context. So there's a couple things first. Earlier in Ephesians, I want to read. I'll start with uh, Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 19. And I think we'll, we'll put that on the screen. It says this. Paul writes, therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord, you should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk, meaning as those who don't know Jesus walk. In the futility of their thoughts, they are darkened in their understanding with how they use their minds, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. They became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. That's the do not walk this way category. And then in chapter 5, verse 1, Paul transitions to the do walk this way. He says, therefore, be imitators of God. What does that mean, to imitate God? It's to, to take on his character. He's a God that is gracious, so we should be generous like he is. He's a God that's merciful. So in our relationships, when mistakes are made, and if you ever relate to another human being, a lot of mistakes will be made, we're to be merciful which leads to forgiveness again and again and again. We're to be abounding in love. Not just love, but abounding in love. Slow to anger. God is slow to anger. That's a a unique one. One of the most critical things about God's character is that he gets angry because there's horrendous things that happen in this world, and we would be desperately lost if we didn't have a God that eventually got angry and did something about it. We're to be like him, slow to anger. But when we do see injustices, we're not called to just sit and watch. We're called to do something about it in wisdom and maturity and faithfulness, forgiveness, or to be like this God. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children, because he loved, now we love, and walk in love. As the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. So don't walk this way, walk that way. We continue in in verse 15. Pay careful attention then, in light of that, of how you walk, how you go through, journey through the steps you're taking in life. Not as unwise people, but as wise. What does that mean? Someone earlier in reference to me dancing apparently was like, you can do it. I'm like, no, there's wisdom and there's not wisdom. I won't be dancing. That would be unwise. Another example that comes to mind is if you've ever heard somebody say, like, ah, oh, we just don't have any money. We, we, I don't make enough. And then as they're saying that, they're, like, getting out of a really expensive car. And you're like, well, it seems like you have money, but you just are also really good and gifted at spending money. Like, money in, money out. That's unwise, depending on what you spend on. Spending's not bad, but there can be unwise and wise ways to spend. Pay careful attention then. Be cautious to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise. Now, what's the the context of this wisdom or lack thereof? It's this, making the most of the time. 
Other translations say, redeeming the time. There's this transactional language being used, purchasing back the time, the moment, the opportunity. We have an interesting uh, phrase we use in our culture. We say, what do you like to spend your time on? What do you spend your time doing? Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? We spend time. There's a transaction. Right now, for some kind of crazy reason, you decided to spend about 90 minutes this morning here with us in hope of some kind of exchange, right? You're spending 90 minutes to get something from it as the people of God gathered together. Later, you could go spend 120 minutes or so watching a movie in exchange for entertainment, distraction, or whatever it might be. You can spend 30-something minutes at lunch. We spend time, all the time. And there's unwise and there's wise ways to do so. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time. It's a valuable commodity. So make sure you're spending it well. Why? Because the days are evil. Ron and I were uh, discussing this throughout uh, earlier this week, and he kind of gave this picture or metaphor, if you will, of life being like a river, the walk of life. And if you're floating on a river, you're going down the river, and the river goes somewhere. And the river of our lives heads towards something evil. Evil doesn't mean just incorrect. It actually means unhealthy, bad for you, not good. What Paul's communicating here is that life is a pathway we're walking on, and the path that you start on because of sin and selfishness in each of us, and we all have that, it leads towards evil. It leads towards self, unless you see the fork in the road and eventually go, I need a new path. Something to keep in mind is this. The unintentional spending of your time will likely head towards evil, not good. Meaning this, if you don't pay attention, if you're not intentional, if you're not purposefully spending your time on what is good, it's actually going to produce naturally just bad, unhealth. The unintentional spending of your time will likely head towards evil, not good. Pay careful attention then to how you walk. Not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. We're still in the context of time. Notice this. The call is not to save time. You don't just put time in the bank account. Actually, God calls us to spend our time, but to do so in wisdom, not in foolishness. So... Know, understand, comprehend what the Lord's will is, and spend your time there. Let's go back to uh, chapter 5, verse 1, to understand what the Lord's will is. Therefore, be imitators of God. I explained that. Be gracious and merciful. Seek justice, slow to anger, but angry if you need to be, if God leads in that way in maturity and wisdom. Faithful, forgiving, kind, compassionate, as dearly loved children, and walk in love. Seek the best for others. One of the most important questions we can ask is, how has God designed me to be human the way I was made to be as a father, a husband, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, someone that shares streets? How has God caused the people around me, designed them to be human the way they were made to be? How do I help them embrace that? Walk in love as the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for 
us. As you spend your time and seek to do it in alignment with the way of Jesus, you can kind of ask yourself this. He gave himself for us. Are you spending your time for you or are you spending your time for others? Now, I want to be really clear. Jesus died on a cross for you, so you matter. And it is not bad to take care of yourself. We're going to talk about that in a minute. It's actually really important because if you're not healthy, you can't love people very well for very long. But if you start to to see a pattern that the time spent, the the transaction log you see over time of how you're spending your time is for you, and then it's for you again, and the next line on them is for you, and for you, and for you some more, well, after enough for you's, you might go, you know what, I don't think I'm living into God's will, because it isn't just about you. It's not even mostly about you. We're called to love, to be generous and merciful and forgiving and faithful, to seek the best for those around us, individuals, communities, neighborhoods, businesses, the greater Prescott area as a whole, we're called to love and make an impact there. How are you spending your time? It's valuable as wise or unwise. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish but understand what the Lord's will is. And don't get drunk with wine. This is confusing to me. Apparently, the the people in Ephesus must have been drunk all day long because apparently all of their time was spent being drunk or something. I don't understand it. Maybe you do. It's it's interesting. Listen to the, the whole context here. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. And apparently number one on the Lord's will is to not be drunk all the time. Anytime you see something like this in the scriptures where it just doesn't like fit, like was Paul just like, by the way, being drunk all the time is not great. So don't do that. Ask why. As we seek to understand the scriptures, if something really sticks out like a sore thumb, there's probably a reason that maybe there's a a cultural or contextual thing we're not understanding, but something actually probably very significant is there, so don't glance over it. So this isn't some random command, like, by the way, don't be drunk all the time. Here's what it's connected to, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled by the Spirit. What happens when you're drunk? You're acting recklessly. You're making poor decisions. I had this horrendous, simultaneously kind of genius idea this week for a TV show. Can you imagine a TV show where part one of the episode was people that were really drunk being given a credit card and spending money for like an hour in a mall just going crazy? And then part two is they get the bill and they sit down with their spouse and they have to explain why they bought the things they bought. It would be absurd. Some of you are thinking, you know what, when I see that Target receipt, my wife gets home, that's what it feels like. Target's crazy. You never know what's going to happen at Target. That would be insane, but also kind of funny. It would be reckless. It would be absurd. You don't want to spend a lot of money and make big decisions while you're drunk because you are controlled. The last three letters of that word are led, L-E-D, led, by something else. So what Paul is saying is don't be led and influenced and controlled by alcohol, by wine, but rather in the context of how you spend your time, be controlled, led, L-E-D, 
by the Holy Spirit. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless actions, reckless spending of your time, but be filled by the Spirit. What does it mean to trust Jesus with your time? We talk often about trusting Jesus always, no matter the moment. We don't want to just live in this theoretical world. We want to become practical and tangible and figure out what that looks like. So what does it mean to actually, in the midst of the everyday stuff of life, trust Jesus with your time? I think it means to hand over control to the Spirit and say, Spirit, lead me Teach me, guide me on how to spend my time wisely. And here's one of the keys in that. I don't think there's many people in this room that'll disagree that time is valuable. There's probably not a whole lot of people in this room that will disagree that they should probably shift and change how they spend their time. We're not necessarily wise. I'm not wise in how I spend my time. There's probably not a lot of disagreement there probably all want that. But we probably don't change, huh? Changing that is difficult. You might even make the argument, I don't know that we can. That's why we have to hand over control from us to the Spirit and go, I just know this is an issue, so help. That's the beauty of the gospel. It's not about me. It's about him. He's the good, good father. He's the one with the perfect love that will pursue us to no end because he's good, not because we are. What does it mean to trust Jesus with your time? To hand over control of the spending to the Spirit. And another way you could uh, think about it is like this. Time is valuable. How you spend it matters. So in your relationship with Jesus and with how you spend your time, does Jesus function as your auditor, your advisor, or the controlling partner in the business of spending your time? If he's an auditor, then you almost kind of live in fear of Jesus. You go, oh boy, I hope the audit doesn't come now. I don't want him to see what I spend my time doing. So you kind of run in shame away from him. Or maybe the audit comes and you go, hey, can we have like a three-month delay? Because I want to go fix some things and spend my time better so that when you look at the books, you'll see some better habits and patterns. It'll be cleaner. And we, we, we shy away from Jesus. He's maybe even unwelcome in it. We don't want him to know. He's assessing it, and that doesn't feel good. Maybe Jesus functions as an auditor for you when it comes to how you spend your time. Maybe he he functions kind of like a a financial advisor, but this isn't time. And so every now and then you come to Jesus and you go, you know what, how should I be spending my time? You tell me. And then he uh, tells you and you go, yeah, that makes sense. I think I have a better idea, though. I think we're going to go down this route instead. Or sometimes you listen, and then sometimes you don't listen. And at the end of the day, you only come to the advisor or call the advisor when you want advice. It's on your terms, on your time, when Jesus advises. Jesus could be our auditor. He could be our advisor. Or he can be the controlling partner, like in a corporation, in a partnership, where we're working together. We're collaborating in the midst of 
the everyday stuff of life. We have a daily staff meeting, and we go, hey, how are we going to spend the time today? But at the end of the day, he's the controlling partner, and so he has the last and final word. Now, that's a whole lot of trust because our time is valuable. Do you trust Jesus with your time? I think that's where we're, not I think, I know, that is where we're supposed to land when it comes to trusting Jesus with our time. The simple yes of he's trustworthy, he's good. He is worthy of giving control of our time with, of being partners in this. Simple, not easy. And if we do trust Jesus and go into this partnership together on spending our time, I think there's three things I see throughout the the scope of the scriptures that Jesus is going to want to make a value within our business of how we spend our time. We'll kind of close by addressing these three. Number one, know your season. Number two, slow down. And number three, spend wisely. We'll, we'll spend a few minutes talking about each. Uh, number one, know your season. There's a, a chunk of the scriptures, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, that are referred to as the wisdom literature. And in Ecclesiastes 3, we're kind of given this picture about time. Maybe it's familiar to you. Uh, the author of Ecclesiastes says this, there is an occasion for everything and a time for every activity under heaven. A time to give birth and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to uproot. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to throw stones and a time to gather stones. A time to embrace and a time to avoid embracing. A time to search and a time to count as lost. A time to keep and a time to throw away. A time to tear and a time to sow. A time to be silent and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. If we're going to be wise in how we spend the time that we have, we have to know the season that we're in. If you have a newborn, that's a real specific, busy, exhausting type of season. And so you have very little time to choose what to spend it on. You have to spend wisely. If you're just starting a business, that's a season. If you're a student and it's finals week, that's a season. Maybe you're in a season of having a lot of time. One of the the most confusing things, I think, for us as a, a culture, a population last year in the midst of COVID is we didn't know what season we were in and we didn't know how to function. All of a sudden, one day, it felt like I have all the time in the world, and then the next day, we were rushed trying to figure out what the heck we're doing with our lives. That was confusing and exhausting because we didn't know the season. Know your season. If you don't know your season, you can't spend well during it. At the same time, though, I think there's somewhat of a, a myth of these words. Maybe you're saying it currently. It's just a season. I don't remember if it was in a book I read or meeting with one of my my mentors at some point, and they were telling me that there was a time in their life where they had this uh, person that they ran with on a weekly basis, and then they got really busy, and they're like, hey, I can't continue this, but it's just a season. I'll be back at it soon. And his wise mentor said, no, it's not just a season. This is now your new reality. It's a choice. And unless you end it, it's just what it's going to be. It's not bad. 
but it isn't just a season. If you're going from one month to two to three months to six months to a year, depending on what the, the thing is, it might be wise to ask, is this really just a season? And there's a good chance, a pretty good likelihood, that you're not capable of being honest with yourself, so you might have to ask somebody else, is this actually just a season, or is this a new pattern and paradigm that we've embraced and it's a new reality? Know your season, but don't use the it's just a season as an excuse. Number two, slow down. In our culture, we run frantically. That's a powerful word. You can kind of just feel it, frantic. We often state this, this term, I said it earlier, we're seeking to become human the way that we were made to be. God has a specific design, and frantic is not a part of his design. There are seasons to sprint and to work really hard, and we'll be exhausted, but chronic franticness is not a part of God's design. And my guess is the vast majority of this room probably feels frantic chronically. We don't know how to escape it. Even if you're retired, I hear all the time, if I only knew how busy I'd be when I was retired, I'd keep working. Like, frantic is just a part of our nature and identity. I would actually maybe make the argument, I think in some ways we're addicted to being frantic because we're afraid of what's going to happen when we actually hear the thoughts in our head. John Mark Comer, in his book, uh, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, provides in a, a workbook these absurd ideas of how to practice fighting the frantic. He states, actually, can we go back to that list, Nicola? Be, there we go. Drive the speed limit. It's probably a good idea every now and then. Here, the, here's one that's crazy. Get into the slow lane. I don't even know what that means. <laughs> Come to a full stop at stop signs and don't text and drive. Probably recommended. Show up. Now, this is just, this is crazy. I don't know how to survive this. Show up 10 minutes early for an appointment without your phone. What do you do for 10 minutes without your phone, sitting by yourself there? Like, how do you, I don't, I don't know what you do with that. Can you imagine this? Showing up with your grocery card and being like, I got options. Could just cruise into the 15 items or less lane, or I could go behind these 20 people. That seems insane, but here's what's, maybe more insane. That sounds really refreshing. Because I literally am like driving fast, timing lights, going from one thing to the next. And to get in the slow lane, or to, to pick the longest lane at the grocery store, I would just go like, oh, wow, this is kind of nice. I'm going to be here for a minute. That sounds good. We're not made to run frantic. That's something we actually have to fight and practice against. The, the second part of slowing down is this, embracing Sabbath. Many of you were with us for our Sabbath practice we did last September, a year ago. I'm convinced that a conversation at my house during our, our practice this last Friday night with our practice group, and somehow we got on the topic of Sabbath. And I can think of no more, dead serious, tangible, practical way to embrace the way of Jesus, to either heal or, or provide a healthy foundation for marriages, to promote good, healthy parenting and friendships and physical health, better business, than for us to embrace Sabbath. 
And some of you are going, what in the heck is Sabbath? Didn't Jesus say we didn't need to do that? No, he said they had embraced it totally wrong because we don't embrace Sabbath as like, a, hey, do this or go to hell. That has, that's not it. But it's the most neglected of the Ten Commandments, which are still good. Go back to the statement, becoming human the way we were made to be. We were made to work and to work hard and to produce good things with the work of our hands six days a week and then to rest. Now, Sabbath isn't this dreadful day on the couch where you can't do anything good. It's quite the opposite. It's a day where you're freed from wanting other stuff. It's a day where you're freed from purchasing things you need. It's a day where you're freed from worrying about the finances or the to-do list. It's not boredom. It's sheer delight. It's going, we're going to eat really great food today, and we're going to celebrate and give thanks. My, my kids have all kinds of issues. They don't know the days of the week very well. At this point, they actually think Saturday is called Sabbath day, or as my son, Ellis, calls it Mario day, because we like to play Mario. He's obsessed with it on the Sabbath day. They delight in the Sabbath day. They love it. We'll always start by sharing breakfast together to kind of mark the moment. And then we get good time as a family. Now, there's a cost, though. I look at my yard, and I go, my yard looks atrocious right now. There's weeds everywhere. And I have to choose to let that be if I'm going to embrace Sabbath. Because right now, in the midst of school and projects and other things going on, I can't. I don't have time. So I either Sabbath or I pull weeds. And right now, there's a lot of weeds. That's OK. It's a choice of how to spend time. Here's a, another thing that may or may not be true. I think it is. You can either choose to embrace Sabbath, or you can just be Sabbath. Like it's a choice that you can delight in and step into, and it'll be good. Or eventually, your body is going to pay the price. Your relationships are going to pay the price. Your spirituality and emotional self is going to pay the price. When we run frantic, when we ignore God's design, he's not punishing us but he doesn't save us from ourselves. There will be a, a price to pay when we ignore his design. We were made to rest, to delight in what is good. So much so, the, the prophet Jeremiah is speaking to God's people as they're being exiled to another nation, ripped apart from their homes, and he's going, the reason this is happening is because you didn't embrace Sabbath, not as a rule, and it was a test and you failed, but because it's good for you. And if I don't step in and do this now as a, a form of timeout, if you will, Things are going to become disastrous. We're running frantic to the, to the degree, actually, that they spend 70 years in exile, the exact amount of time of Sabbath that they missed. We can either embrace the good gift God has given. It's not boring. It's delightful. And trust that he'll provide and give thanks in that day, or we'll probably pay the price at some point. It's funny how busyness is a badge of courage in our culture, I can guarantee somebody in the lobby at some point this morning was like, hey, how are you? That person was like, good, I'm busy. Probably happened like 27 times in the lobby before you came in. Uh, I love what Doug Fields says about busyness. He says, think about it. Is busyness really getting you what you want or need? In the end, busyness makes us feel important but cripples our relationships. Busyness feeds our egos but ultimately starves our souls. Busyness fills our calendars, but fractures our families. And busyness props up our images, but shrinks our hearts. There's probably an issue and one of the most common answers. I, I can't think of a more common answer in our church lobby 
when people say, hey, how are you, then busy. It's probably not healthy. Hard. I, I say it all the time. But probably not healthy. John Mark Homer in that same book reflects on this. Uh, I love what he has to say. He says, here's my point. The solution to an overbusy life is not more time. So we just spend it poorly. It's to slow down and simplify our lives around what really matters. That brings us to the third and final thing. I think Jesus is the controlling partner and the business of how we spend our time would want. Know your season, slow down, and spend wisely. Again, the call is not to save your time. You can't do it. There's no bank account. It's to spend it, and to spend it really well. The moment is now to love, to seek the best for others. The moment is now to be generous with your time, with your space, with your stuff, with your finances, with your ear, to seek the best for others, to bring out the best in the community around you. Spend your time wisely because it's valuable. I want to go ahead and, and close by just reading this whole section that we've kind of been breaking down, Ephesians 4, 17 uh, through 5, 21. If you have a, a Bible, feel free to follow along or, or pull out the phone and, and follow along. Or uh, maybe if that's distracting, just soak it in and let God's word do its thing and impact. But we'll close by just reading his word. Paul writes, Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer walk as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their thoughts. They are darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them and because of the hardness of their hearts. You're going to hear themes for trusting Jesus with your mind, trusting Jesus with your heart, trusting Jesus with your sin, trusting Jesus with your hands, and trusting Jesus with your time, all from the scriptures here. Verse 19, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. But that is not how you learned about the Messiah, assuming you heard about him and were taught by him, because the truth is in Jesus. You took off your former way of life, the old self, that is corrupted by the deceitful desires. You are being renewed in the spirit of your minds. You put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Since you put away lying, speak the truth, each one to his neighbor, because we are members of one another. We are one body. What we do, what we say, how we spend our time impacts each other. The whole next section will be about how to treat people relationally. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and don't give the devil an opportunity. The thief must no longer steal. Instead, he must do honest work with his own hands so that he has something to share with anyone in need. No foul language is to come from your mouth, but only what is good for building up someone in need so that it gives grace to those who hear. And don't grieve God's Holy Spirit. You were sealed by him for the day of redemption. All bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander must be removed from you along with all malice. These are all relational commands. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. As the Messiah also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. 
that sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Coarse and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather give thanks. For no one recognizes this. Every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of the Messiah and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the light results in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, discerning what is pleasing to the Lord. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made clear, for what makes everything clear is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and the Messiah will shine on you. Pay careful attention, then, to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time, because the days are evil. So don't be foolish. But understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk on wine, which leads to reckless actions, but be filled, controlled, led by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music from your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. Trusting Jesus is not easy. Trusting Jesus with our time is not easy. But I wholeheartedly, 100% believe it is a simple choice. Time is valuable, and he's worthy of trusting with it. Will you invite him to lead that? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you care, that you have offered this absurd love beyond comprehension and understanding to us. Father, we ask that you pour out your spirit upon us. Lead us not into reckless decision-making, but into wisdom with how we spend our time. God, we trust you with our time. And if we don't trust you with our time, help us to trust you with our time. We look to you now. We look to you always. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, one of the, the most important things for us as Restoration Church is that the application for any given sermon is not go and do better. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the work of Christ. And so we respond in worship each week by taking communion, by remembering the bread and the cup that Jesus gave up, sacrificed for us his body and blood, but that he didn't stay in the grave. He rose, that he is alive and well, and that he is in you, that we are united with Christ. And so if we come forward as our application and receive the gift he's given, then he leads within us. This is the beauty of being united in communion to Jesus. So whether you do that as an individual or with a spouse or family or friends, feel free now to worship by receiving communion and knowing that Christ is in you. He's the one that does the work. Let's continue to worship now by taking communion and by worshiping in song as well.
Thanks so much for listening. Once again, we are Restoration Church in beautiful Prescott, Arizona. And again, my name is Nate Huss. I'm one of the team members here. So glad that you were able to join us. And uh, if this is your first time listening or you've been listening for a little while and um, are still doing the online thing, I just want to encourage you, go get plugged in. Um, Restoration may not be the church for you and that's okay, but I want to encourage you, go get plugged in with the local body. Is there a church in your area that you could trust and join and, and be a part of the body of Christ? There's something that is really valuable and important about journeying together with other people who are on the journey of practicing the way of Jesus. And so um, whatever that looks like, if restoration is a, a place that you could call home and you're in Prescott, Arizona, or in one of the quad cities in the area, we would love for you to join us. If not, I just really want to encourage you, um, go get plugged into a local body. It's really, really valuable. Um, and I truly believe it is important for us on our journey of faith. And so um, again, if you'd like to learn more about us, you can go to restorationaz.org. And as always, remember, Jesus is the only one who is trustworthy always, no matter the moment. So press on as we continue to practice the way of Jesus.